We Turned Out Okay is a show about children and families. You get to see into the mind of a child development expert, and you'll learn tons about kids and why they do what they do. It's for grown-ups, so it's not always G-rated. But it's almost always PG. And we'll let you know when it's PG-13 or higher. Also, you can expect some rabbit holes and detours. But we return to the topic at hand. Besides, rabbits are awesome. What have you got against rabbits? Anyway, sit back, relax, and prepare to learn about how to stay sane while raising your little kids. Enjoy the show! Come on, guys! We turned out okay. The modern parent's guide to old school parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hello, and welcome to episode 286 of the show that always is working to help you change your child's behavior from bad to good truly enjoy the time you spend with your young child and feel happy inside. And I know I totally did that in the wrong order. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay. It is like super early in the morning that I'm recording this, which I think is why I am starting off in a little bit of a disjointed way. But anyway, we'll keep on going. We're going to press on. I am Karen Lockkolb. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. I am a child development expert. I've got degrees in human development and in uh, early childhood education and family uh, relations as well. And I am all excited because this is one of the chapters in our series on how you are educating your young child. And these are going to become a book. (laughs) They're not a book yet, but they are on their way as I write. Um, I really have discovered that I need to... I, I love these podcast episodes about specific things. I love these deep dives and series because this is how I learn what I think. And then I can take that and I can research it and I can build on it and I can create cool things for you like books. Um, that's This is actually what I did with Your Child Explained volumes one and three, although it's funny because three was originally going to be two. And, uh, and then I realized that two needs to be education. And three is going to be about sort of the eventual success and fulfillment of your young child. So stay tuned for that. I'm I'm planning on having that book out a little later this year. But right now we are focusing on education. And I am super excited about this particular episode because it's all about the factors that do and do not matter in a young child's learning. And I think I want to open here by saying that um, I I recognize that these these factors, particularly the do nots, um, matter more as kids get older. So I I'm talking like my expertise is really in the sort of nine and under. Um, I talk a lot on the show about how when my oldest turned ten, you may have heard me say this before. When my oldest turned 10, I felt like, okay, well, now we're really off the map because I don't know. My education stops at at nine in the third grade. And what I've discovered is that a lot of things are very similar after 10 as before 10. So um, 
I no longer feel like I am sort of flying without any kind of navigation. Uh, And I hope I can help you get to that point as well. So as I say, these things that do not matter, they will start to matter, but they don't matter here at the beginning, you know, in the the early years, in the early grades. Um, And the younger you are, the less they matter. So that's really what I want to do. I want to start with the do nots and then we'll have our break. And then after the break, we will get to the what does matter. And um, yeah, all right, so let's dive in. Okay, the, there are there are three things that I see that do not matter. And the first one is rote learning. So we we have this idea that like, you'll hear a lot of, of um, adults sort of testing kids almost on their colors when they're extremely young or um, fretting over the fact that they can't write their letters or that they can't, they, they, you know, can't name the letters that are in their name or something like that. And pardon me, as I say, those are the things that the rote learning doesn't matter. When kids are young, it is all about other things besides rote learning. As in, we we don't need to focus on the rote learning when they're when they're very young. I I really uh, want you to understand that because um, it might it might make you have to do a bit of a gut check. I mean, you can feel this little gush of pride when your child can identify the colors, for example, or when your child can identify the numbers or the letters. And that is not to say that you don't play games and and learn things by rote. Um, you know, just the alphabet song, if you think about that, that is, that is a, a fun way of learning the alphabet. So I, I, when I talk about rote learning, I'm talking about like, don't test your kids on the colors that they see or, um, or sort of make a big part of their learning be learning by rote. Um, I, I always think back to that movie Parenthood with, uh, with Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen and um, the guy who played, he was, he was uh, the gatekeeper, I believe in, in Ghostbusters. I can't remember his name, but he was also in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know, that guy. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes. I'll link to Parenthood in the show notes. I just need to write down links. And um, anyway, the, the joke is that he is this, this dad, the guy who was in Ghostbusters and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, he is testing his like three-year-old daughter on, on everything. Like they, they decide, um, his wife wants to go uh, away, I think to Mexico or Spain with just him. And he immediately is like, oh no, we have to take our daughter. And, um, he starts testing her on like, he starts making up flashcards so that she can learn Spanish. And this is a kid who's just been raised with, you know, with basically with flashcards as for company, you know, she doesn't have friends. They've agreed, you know, he, he points out in the movie, we've agreed not to have any sibs is what she is what he calls them, not to have any siblings, not to have any other children until I can't remember how many years between, but like, and, and his wife wants to go off of that because she's seeing uh, that, that, her daughter is kind of coming out a little strangely and she, she just wants some, some kind of normal kid stuff in her life. And, uh, and that is their conflict that they have to resolve in the movie. It's a really, it's a really good movie. Anyway, it's not for children. Don't, don't watch parenthood with your kids. <laughs> um, it's definitely a grown up thing. 
there's a there's some adult messages in that movie but it's it's really good in fact when when i watched it we watched it with our i think he was probably just 18 um we watched it with our oldest and he said what i here's what i like about about 80s movies the the ones that we've anyway opted to show him he says what i like about this one in particular is that he actually what he said was 80s movies help me figure out something in my life whenever I whenever I watch them. And I said, oh, what did this one help you figure out? And he said, he said, everybody at this movie, no matter how old or young they are, they are all monumentally screwing up and it turns out fine. They're okay. <laughs> they don't, you know, their lives work out even though they're making these mistakes. And I was like, oh my God, that is such a great lesson to take from that movie. So it's a really good movie anyway, but not for little kids. <laughs> so, okay, so that's rote learning is the first. The second one is seat work. And this is something that uh, we hear about when they start school. So um, how long can your child do seated work is a, is a, is a thing that certainly teachers need to keep an eye on because... Um, because what we do in our society is we 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 sort of force them into too much seat work too early. And this is my opinion. Um, people may differ, <clears throat> and that is fine. We can agree to disagree. Reasonable people can agree to disagree. I do think that this one is, uh, it, it's a scary one to me because it can really damage children, making them go against their instincts of moving around. And so uh, what'll happen is most of the kids will be absolutely fine. They they are perfectly comfortable sitting down to do, quote, seat work. And, um, but there are those outliers and the outliers in this case aren't, um, they shouldn't be getting in trouble. What they're doing is they're obeying their own instincts to not sit down. And actually, I'm going to go right into the third one here, which which I wrote. I, I have three of these, rote learning, seat work, and how long can they sit still? This is another thing that teachers are sort of um, taught to monitor. And and it actually becomes really clear, like, who can and who can't do this, because uh, as as we are doing our daily work, who are the kids who keep getting up and zooming around? Who are the kids who can't sit still? And when I was becoming a teacher, I feel like I'm at my education and my sort of time of of coming up into education was a really interesting one because I graduated from, I got my master's degree just before, I think probably a year, or I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to research that when, uh, when did, I'm writing it down um, so that I can remember to to find out the answer for you. And I will give it to you in the break is my hope. Um, so I became a teacher just before the No Child Left Behind legislation began uh, to be a thing. So before that, just before that legislation was passed. And what the No Child Left Behind legislation did was it created this environment where seat work and rote learning and how long kids can sit still mattered more than like anything. And we are still, we are still living in this world today. It's so frustrating because we are, um, there have been some, I think, efforts to rectify the damage that No Child Left Behind did. And let me just say, no one, I don't think anyone 
I can't say this for sure, but my hope is that the people who put No Child Left Behind in place did it with, with their with their hearts in the right place, but it really didn't work out that well. Because what happened was you now have, um, it's really interesting, my, my youngest was just asking me, what's No Child Left Behind? So this is on my mind at the moment. What you had was previous to No Child Left Behind and the legislation that brought in all this testing, you had, for example, my my son's first grade teacher, my oldest first grade teacher, was asked this exactly this question at our at our uh, parents' night in like September, and what she said was, you know, she was asked, "What's different now before all this testing?" Which had only been a few years at that point; it had been less than a decade, so five six years. And what she said was, um, "I." miss those days. We were able to, if we wanted to study salamanders for six weeks, we could study salamanders for six weeks. If we wanted to do a lot more cooking, we had the time to do as much cooking as we possibly wanted. Um, I, I, you got the impression listening to her that she had a lot more autonomy and a lot more choice in her classroom about what went on there. And she said, um, after uh, we, we, we have to just concentrate so much on on the testing and then she said something that I still find chilling to this day particularly because uh it ended up being the reason we took our sons out of school and and homeschooled and why they have done so well she said first grade is big business and I didn't realize how how prescient that would be in our lives but we our oldest particularly but I think both kids and I think pretty well all kids need to not have first grade be big business. It's not a time to get kids to sit down and learn stuff by rote and see how long they can stay seated and concentrate on the worksheets and the and the um, the stuff like that. And in fact, I remember the other thing I remember about that year was when we went on, we we took a family trip to Myrtle Beach, and we met my parents there, and we had two weeks of exploring the ocean and. And being with family, you know, and, and all these things that are really, really important. <clears throat> I've only really mentioned two of them, but I remember those weeks as just a lot of fun and um, a time of growth and exploration. And when we went, it was, a, it was a huge inconvenience to the teacher because we were going away at a time when it wasn't vacation. So she felt that she needed to pull together worksheets and stuff like that, that so that, so that our son would sort of stay, um, you know, on top of like his schoolwork. And he's six years old. He was, he was six years old. Yeah. First grade. He's six years old. No wonder he was diagnosed with migraine at age six because she sent us with 60 worksheets for him to do over the 14 days that we were away. And I mean, he did not get them anywhere near all done, but it's like, who determined that this is, this is how we we educate a child. I mean, it, it made me so angry, even at the time. And then on his report card that year, we got uh, back these messages that like, if he had not gone in May, he would have been fine. And instead, he was behind and he was suffering and he was not focusing. And suffering was not her word. That was how I felt. Um, it was years before we could even talk with our son about what first grade was like for him. It was, it was, it was a, it was a terrifying time, frankly. And, um, maybe, you know, maybe that's a, a, a story for another, another episode. But anyway, um, I see when I look at like my own son's experiences, but also I started off talking about how like I became a teacher, I became an educator 
in the time before No Child Left Behind. So the emphasis was on uh, was on supporting each child in where they are in their learning and having, as I said before, a lot more autonomy in the classroom. Like I was brought up to, to believe that as a, as an educator, so now I'm in my early twenties, you know, when you've got a lot of like, a, a lot of gusto, a lot of, um, excitement for the future and, and sort of this idea that like we're change makers is what we were. That was what was instilled in us, uh, both, both as undergrads, but also hugely as, uh, when I was going for my master's degree, hugely as about to step into the world of education. Like we we were taught to believe that like we were the ones who were going to make a huge difference alongside the parents in these kids' lives and um, and how exciting that was going to be. And I remember one day a, a woman came in, I think she might've been from like a union and she came in to sort of talk to us about like what what it was going to be like to go from learning to be an educator to actually being an educator and she basically said you can expect that uh, in the school systems that you end up in people aren't going to want your new big ideas they're going to want to keep things status quo and um and you have to figure out like how that is going to work for you i can't why would a representative of the union talk about that. But anyway, I, I do feel like she had something to do with unions. And I do feel like she was being very um, honest with us about like what it was like to go from, from being a, a student of education to being an educator out in the world. And I always remembered that um, because I really, I felt it on behalf of other people. I ended up, I, w- I went I was already connected with the the preschool program that was town run. It was it was like a it was on the frontier of learning. It was a really new and exciting um, thing to be a part of. So I I really felt like my vision for being a teacher was already coming true, and it it, it jibed very much very closely with what I had learned in school, and it was really exciting. Um, but I was hearing about other friends and and. And they were not having that kind of experience because they were going off into school systems where they had to um, adhere to the the practices that were already there and tried to sort of fit their own teaching into that. And then when I when this really came back to me was when I was sending my own son off to school because I realized that he was he was in one of those very typical, very common, uh, normal sort of school systems where the teachers don't get paid enough and where there are there are practices being done with big money behind them. Uh, again, I don't want to get into this here, but these are all things that are real. And and those practices were detrimental to kids. And I saw that in my child. And as I said before, too, it's not every child. Most kids are going to be able to um, fit themselves into this world somehow. But that doesn't mean it's what's best for them because what they're learning is to is to shut off the parts of their brain that are going to become more important later. So I really when I started to record here, you know, I, I did not think I didn't realize what a what a sort of rant this was going to become and I want you to know if you are happy with your child's schooling, I am so happy for you. I think it's wonderful. Uh and and if you're not there are ways that we can make change. Um, I did an episode, it was a couple of years ago now, on um, on homework and and just how detriment, detrimental homework can be. And a teacher in, I believe, Texas who was 
who was making a change in the sense of she she basically said like, hey, I'm not doing typical homework here. What we're going to do instead in our, I believe it was first or second grade is we're going to do the things that, that predict success, academic success. And they are make sure your child gets good sleep every night, spend time with your child, read with your child, do the things like explore the world, do the things that kids need to do in order to learn. And um, I'm going to link to that episode uh, I don't know what I'm going to call it, but hopefully you'll find it in the show notes. <laughs> um, because cause even if you're not happy, you can do things about that. Um, and so I want to give you some hope and make you feel like you can do things about it. It doesn't have to be a, a frightening um, prospect. And I know it's it's concerning because you might be one of those one of those kids who you might have one of those kids who just doesn't, who this is really not working for. Before school, you felt like, you had a child who was engaged with the world and who was sort of really doing his his or her, I say his because this was what happened with us, um, really in tune with their own selves and and happy in their world and, and, and you know, waking up every day sort of ready for a new day. And then uh, if things changed because your child was suddenly not happy, the other one that comes to mind is my episode with Amy Anderson um, about kids not giving consent consent how do little kids show that they do not give consent because little kids can't say i do not give consent for this what'll happen is they'll they'll get headaches or they'll get stomach aches or they will cry every day before they go off to school or whatever and it'll go on for weeks and amy anderson is a mom who found herself in that situation and she was really eloquent talking about that so i'm going to link to that in the show notes as well all right and so those are the things that do not matter rote learning does not matter for young children seat work does not matter for young children how long can they sit still that does not matter for young children and um we will get into what does matter after the break so stay tuned to the break for episode 286. This episode, as you know, because you're in the middle of it, is all about the factors that matter and those that do not matter in your child's education. And I am really excited to bring you this one today. It is one of the chapters. Actually, this one ended up being a couple of chapters. I separated it out in the forthcoming book, Educating Happy Kids, Nine Ways to Help Your Children Learn What They Need to Know. And that book is, uh, it's coming up for pre-order pretty soon next month, and then it's going to go up on sale in September. Um, I'm so excited to get it out to you. And anyway, so the cool thing is that you get to listen to one of the chapters uh, well, as I said before, a couple of chapters, but they are in podcast form. So you're hearing me. This is this is where like it really comes in today's episode where um, it is so true that what I do is uh, I invite you into my thinking. Like this is one of those episodes that's really about uh, the thinking of a child development expert and and what it can mean for you and kind of the positives it can mean for your family. So before we go any further in this break, I want to remember to shout out about, I want to give you a quick heads up, starting this coming Monday, July 15th, so you still have time to sign up for this if you want, I am offering a program to help you do less for your child and feel good about it. I know that's something that I struggle with sometimes. I know it's, it's something I struggled with a lot more when they were younger. I felt incredibly guilty if I wasn't doing everything for them. Uh, This program is called 21 Days to Independence for Your Child 
and for you. And in these three weeks, we're going to cover how to not be your child's personal entertainer. In other words, how to help them get to the point where they can amuse themselves uh, without screens, how to stop hovering for your benefit and for their benefit. And this one I think about, like I used to do this all the time too, and I know a lot of listeners do this. I've heard from a lot of you who can't help yourselves, but kind of push into into places where you're you're feeling like you shouldn't, but it's really, really hard to not do that. So this program is going to help with that. Um, and also how to help them resolve conflicts, because the, here's the thing. If we keep jumping into their bickering and solving problems for them and, 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 and giving out punishments and stuff like that, we're not helping them get to the point where they can do it themselves. And we, as hard as it might be to imagine, there's going to come a time when when your child will be old enough that that you you know your your relationship changes with them and when you get to that point you don't want to be doling out punishments anymore you know you don't want to be negotiating over how many carrots you don't want to be um sending somebody to their room when they're 35 years old right um and this that's what this program helps with it helps in the short term because you're feeling good about your ability to parent your child but you're also building up skills that are going to make that relationship with your child way better and also have a have a, a more independent um child and that that feels better for everybody because then you're not doing everything for them you have time to yourself <laughs> that's what we're going for here this program takes place right in your inbox and it's super convenient in that way as well as being helpful uh, because i'm working closely with each participant space is limited and spots are filling up so go to we turned out okay.com slash indy i-n-d-y to learn more and register i should say this program is not a free program i do offer uh, quite a few free things. First of all, the podcast has 285 back episodes now of of free stuff, and it's not going anywhere. I love bringing this to you. Um, I I love it, love it, love it, and I know a lot of people get a lot of benefit from it. But if you're struggling with this, um, in fact, I'm actually offering right now in the in our Facebook group, I'm offering a free workshop that is five days, and it is on this same subject. So it's 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 getting independence for you and for your child. Um, but it's it's just a taste of what I can offer, like the benefits that you can have. Um, if you want sort of the 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 joy of three weeks of learning um, and and getting better at this and and being successful at having some independence for your child and thus for yourself, then I highly, highly, highly recommend taking this um, taking this three week program. It's, it's, uh, I think a real opportunity and, um, I love doing them. My heart is really in these, um, these kind of programs that I can offer just like in the ninja parenting community. And so you should go check it out. We turned out okay.com slash indie. Um, this week, e- each week I offer a magic words for parents in, in our We Turned Out Okay Facebook group, um, I call them magic words for parents because I try to give you a quick word, sometimes it's just one word, or a phrase that you can use, you can take into your parenting week. And I I like, I've really been enjoying this and, and the feedback I'm getting from you is, is wonderful as well, that like to link up the magic words for parents with what's going on on the episode feels really good. It's like, it's like, it's like a little more exposure to this idea. It's a, it's a, it's another way to kind of wrap your mind around this idea. And I think that's so cool. And so, um, 
bearing that in mind, this week's Magic Words for Parents, I do them every Monday, so this was just done, if you're listening in real time, yesterday, was called One Thing You Can Say to Foster Your Child's Learning. And uh, also the other thing that's going on is that week-long free workshop on independence. And so what you might want to do is join the Facebook group if you're not there already, or if you are there, um, take that free workshop and, and see, you know, see if these ideas resonate with you. And then go to weturn.ok.com slash indie, I-N-D-Y, and, and sign up for the longer program. So, you'll, you know, this will give you a taste and then you can, you can go and check out the, the bigger one. And um, I usually, in the past, I have offered a YouTube live and I, I did them each Thursday. And just last week, I f- I'm feeling really badly about this because just last week I said something like, have no fear, the YouTube live will be back next week. And I took last week off of the YouTube live. And I am also, this is the beginning of a new quarter. So it's July, August, and September are like the third quarter of the year. And I've been really finding that I can achieve my goals for you, uh, get creating the best podcast possible, writing these books, being there for you if you're in the Ninja Parenting community, if you're, if you're taking one of these programs. Um, by looking afresh at what I offer, uh, at the beginning of each quarter. So last week was the first week of the quarter. And I realized I am spreading myself too thin by offering YouTube lives each week. I don't think I'm going to go away from YouTube altogether, but I think what you'll see is either later in the summer or in the fall, instead of doing a whole dedicated YouTube live, what I may do is um, post the audio of each podcast episode in in YouTube so that, so that, uh, people, a lot of people like to listen there. They'll, they'll, um, they will find it in YouTube and just kind of have, have my, uh, my little, uh, my, my YouTube live, which they're, they're, they've been about 10 minutes long. Um, and you wouldn't think the 10 minutes would be such a thing to prepare, right? But it, but it really is. It, it can be really draining. And as I said, it's, I was spreading myself too thin with them. So at least if I'm, if I'm posting episodes in YouTube, at least it's a way for you to get access to the show in YouTube. So, um, so I am very sorry that I said, have no fear. It'll be back next week, last week. And here I am now saying, you know, there's, we're, they're on hiatus um, as I try to figure out like how to best keep up my energy and also um, provide you the best kind of programming possible to like make it so that you get to have happy times with your children instead of frustrated and stressful ones. So that's up with the YouTube Live. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said, I, I'm, I apologize if that was one of your favorite things and I needed to, I needed to remove it. Um, but I am offering some other really, really great things in its place. Uh, so, so go join the Facebook group and, um, and take that workshop and, or, you know, or join the Ninja Parenting community or take the, the three week independence for you and for your child, uh, program, because I think you'll get good benefits out of those. Um, and you also get a sane and healthy podcaster, (laughs) podcast host. So that's really, really important, I think. All right, moving on to the parenting news segment. I was overjoyed to uh, read in Education Weekly this week that Carol Dweck, the the woman who first came up with the uh, idea of a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, um, she all of her research was kind of pointing towards this as being a huge important factor in children's learning, people's learning, but but particularly children she was focusing on. Um, and she's in Education Weekly, she has kind of 
the title of the episode of the episode, the title of the article is Carol Dweck revisits the growth mindset. And what I love about this is she's being very clear about like what, uh, what an achievement this idea was the growth mindset versus a fixed mindset and how crucial it is to have a growth mindset. But she's helping people implement it, implement that idea better. Like, for example, one of the things she talks about is how, um, She writes, but as we've watched the growth mindset become more popular, we've become much wiser about how to implement it. The learning, the common pitfalls, the misunderstandings and what to do about them is what I'd like to share with you so that we can maximize the benefits for our students. And I'm only going to read, I'm only going to talk about one aspect of this. There are, there are quite a few. Um, And the one that I found most compelling was uh, Carol Dweck writes, a growth mindset isn't just about effort. Like it's not just effort for effort's sake. It's more important than, um, it's, it's a bigger idea than like, oh, a growth mindset is how we get kids to be more productive and put in more effort. It's, it's about, it's about the mindset, right? And, um, I just think this is a really interesting idea to think about. So, so Dweck writes, Perhaps the most common misconception is simply equating the growth mindset with effort. Certainly effort is key for students' achievements, but it's not the only thing. Students need to try new strategies and seek input from others when they're stuck. They need this repertoire of approaches, not just sheer effort, to learn and improve. And that's just one of quite a few um, ideas that, that Dweck shares in here. And um, there's even a really cool little graphic about how to encourage students um, if you if you are, you know, approaching from a growth mindset, some things to say, and how to not approach from a fixed mindset, what not to say. And I highly recommend it. I am, um, one of the things I've figured out is that when I'm doing parenting news, uh, it's easier for you if I just link to the, to the particular article in the podcatcher. Uh, rather than asking you to sort of dig into the key links and stuff like that, that that mostly pertain to the episode. And sometimes there's like a dozen of them and it can be really hard to find the one about the parenting news segment. So you'll find that right in your podcatcher if you scroll down to where it says plus in parenting news. <laughs> um, I I think it's a really interesting re-examination of a very, very, very important concept, which is that people learn best when they think they can when they think they can learn when they when they it's much easier for you to master a concept when you're thinking how do I do this rather than I can't do this and um and so now Carol Dweck has given us some other insights on that and and I encourage you to go read it it's really cool all right next up I am in training to get this book out to you I mentioned at the top of the break that I've got Educating Happy Kids. Uh, it's it's in production. Um, I am so part of getting uh, setting aside the YouTube lives for now was had to do with like I've I've just got too much things on my too many things on my plate and so how can I make it so that I can focus back on this book and here's what I found my friends <laughs> I had been afraid to open up the book and look at the edits that my editor had given back to me literally afraid, like as if this book was going to jump up and bite me or something. And um, so I I want you to know I have now uh, officially picked up and done that. I have now um, 
come back into the editing process. I opened the document as Jessica Leahy, the wonderful, wonderful Jessica Leahy often says, um, she's the author of The Gift of Failure. And the way that she wrote that best-selling book was even when she felt that she was overwhelmed and she couldn't, she just opened the document. And so yesterday, I want you to picture me sitting in my comfy chair. Um, but with this book in front of me, this manuscript in front of me, all those printed pages, and I'm just looking at it like, oh, my goodness. Um, and finally, I, I, I said, I just thought of Jessica and also KJ, her, uh, Jess and KJ, who, who are the host of the hashtag am writing podcast. And basically what I remembered them saying is just open the document. And so I did. And I got a couple chapters in like I'm doing OK. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been quite this is this is why the value this is the value of being able to come back to you and say, how's it going? Because I it, it's I, you're holding me accountable. And I really, really appreciate that. I, I might not have gone back to it had I not known that I was going to have to get into this break and say, <laughs> how it's going. So hopefully I'll get the editing done this week. I'll get that cover. Um, I'm going to get a cover survey out so that you all can uh, can decide on your favorite version of the cover. And um, we're, you know, we're just going to keep going, keep it in production. So thank you very, very much for holding me accountable and um, for helping me stay positive about it, even when it's scary. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I always offer some sort of guide in um, in that that I put right into the podcatcher uh, that you can take advantage of. And today I I've put the free guides in the in the show notes, so you can go to weeturn.ok.com/slash/286 to get those. But in the um, in the podcatcher, you can scroll down. And I just wanted to remind you that what we've got, uh, what I'm really excited about this week and what I really wanted to share with you, because I think it can be crucial if you are held back by your guilt at, you know, and that feeling that you need to do everything for your young child is you should go to weturned.ok.com slash Indy, I-N-D-Y, and, um, and check out that program and sign up for it. Okay. Today's show is sponsored by Julian Coffee, and I will play a word from the amazing Julian Kimmel on how to brew a great cup of Julian Coffee in a moment. This sponsorship pays for production, editing, and web hosting for We Turned Out Okay. But before we get to that, my time in creating this show is supported by the members of our Ninja Parenting community. If you're listening to this show, you'll know that I specialize in helping parents get out of a negative space, get past the tough parts of raising our kids, and get into the fun stuff. I do way more of that in NPC than I could ever do on We Turned Out Okay. For example, recently I helped a mom handle it when her kids were fighting in a special way by throwing dirt at each other. <laughs> We've got so many great ways in NPC to address the problems you face in your real life with your real children. Live members-only calls, courses and challenges and daily interactions, days and days worth of content, all available in an online workspace that is always accessible 24-7, 365. I am in there every day. That's the other thing. Uh, it's not just a whole bunch of stuff. It's you getting to ask me questions and me making you things like videos or uh, guides or, or um, formulas so that you know what to do and how to help. I mean, it's, it's very different um, and it's very, very specific. And, um, and I love it. And I think the people in there, you know, the people that I have heard from really, really love it. So um, you, you should get in there and try it. I want to help you be a ninja parent 
as well. If you're not there yet, I want to help you navigate the tough stuff to get there. So if you're not a member, go to weturnedoutok.com slash work with me to become one. And now a word from our sponsor. Ben and I are so appreciative of today's sponsor, the very first we've ever had on the show. We wanted to make sure that any sponsor would offer something you would love and would be an absolutely out of this world company. We have found that with today's sponsor, Julian Coffee, on the web at juliancoffeepr.com. Julian sources his coffee in Puerto Rico, which is why the coffee is so unique and delicious. I've tried it. I absolutely love it. And I love knowing that the people who grow it get paid a fair wage. If you want to start your day with an amazing cup of coffee while supporting the people who produced that amazing cup of coffee, and also while supporting this show, go get yourself some Julian Coffee. Go to juliancoffeepr.com and use the code MOM, lowercase M-O-M, to get 10% off. Or use that same code in Amazon by clicking the link in the show notes or searching Julian Coffee on amazon.com. And now, a word from Julian. Talking to a coaching client of mine, uh, and she, I had thought to ask you the question, how do you brew the perfect cup of Julian coffee? And she said, you know what, Karen, I'm not so worried about the perfect cup of Julian coffee. I'm more worried about how do I not screw it up when I am, you know, I'm waking up early with my little kids and I'm just sort of stumbling to either the coffee maker or the one cup maker or whatever. How do I not screw up the coffee (laughs) is her question. I would say... I think the cheapest and the best way is in a French press. Okay. Basically, you put you can put like one tablespoon per cup, like a, a level put, tablespoon or a, a heaping tablespoon. Like how? I how? mean, either. I mean, people have different. You know, they prefer it stronger, a little weaker. But mm-hmm. I'd say you can do both. You can do one smooth one or one heaping tablespoon. Okay. And just depending on how strong you like it and uh, put boiling water in the French press, let it sit for five minutes, and then you can make it in the French press. Or you can really just let it sit there until it is ready to, for the temperature for you to drink. Oh, cool. Um, okay. but I think the, Fr- the French press is, to me, the easiest way. You don't and have it's... to like, leave something on the stove and potentially uh, overboil it. Mm-hmm. Um, coffee is very sensitive to heat. So... Um, the French press to me is the easiest, and I think it tastes the best as well. And you said you mentioned it's the least, the least expensive. Yeah, you can buy a French press for like ten, fifteen bucks. Oh, cool. I mean, if you also a lot of people have Keurigs. Um, yeah. You can buy like a re, yeah, you, a lot of you can buy like a reusable Keurig cup, and like put it in, but don't pack it in too tightly, and maybe not pack it all the way. And then use it just like that, and you can just make it in your Keurig. Oh, awesome! Oh, that I think is going to be really useful because I bet a lot of listeners yeah. have have Keurig. So that's yeah. that's yeah. very very good to know. I'm so thankful to Julian Kimmel of Julian Coffee for sponsoring We Turned Out Okay. And I'm thankful to you as well when you support the show and enjoy this delicious coffee by clicking the link in the show notes or going to juliancoffeepr.com, where you can use code MOM, M-O-M lowercase, to get 10% off. And you can use that same code in Amazon. So you use the link in our show notes or search Julian Coffee in Amazon and use the code MOM again to get 10% off. When you do, you're supporting Puerto Rican farmers, this show, and you are also getting a fantastic cup of coffee. So go do it. And now, on with the show. Okay, 
back from the break and talking now about what does matter in our child's education. So just to, as a refresher, I want to um, share the reason, the things that do not matter in a young child's learning. Uh, they are rote learning, seat work, and measuring how long can a child sit still. And I think from those three other factors that do not matter come along. So uh, you, you might, like with us, what was happening was it was being hinted that our perfectly typical child who did not need psychological help or medicine, when I had a conference with his second grade teacher, she was telling me outright that he needed psychological help. She was very concerned about him because he was really suffering in school. And um, she, she was basically saying outright, I think he needs, uh, he, he needs psychological help. And secondly, she was hinting that he might need medication. And I think that happens to a lot of kids. And uh, so we don't want that. That is what we're, what we're trying to do here is get away from, I want you to know, I want you to be armed with this information as a parent. Uh, armed is the wrong word because we need to collaborate with our teachers. They care about your kids too. I promise, promise, promise. Um, and so we need to work with them and not see them as an adversary that you need to go in armed against. Although I completely understand if you feel that way. Um, I was able to work with her. And in fact, uh, when I brought up what eventually did work for our son, which was homeschooling, I said, I said something like, have you ever, have you ever heard of homeschooling or whatever? And it turned out that she had his second grade teacher lived next door to a, like a family of five that, that the homeschooled all their children. And it was wonderful. And she really, she really thought that might be a good option for him. So your teacher might surprise you and, and not be the enemy that you think, uh, likely if your child is young, she is, um, so just keep that in mind too, okay? So what does matter? If those things do not matter, what does matter? And I've got, ooh, five of them right now, and we, we, may, we may end up with more. So what does matter is that your child, first of all, is engaged. They need to be engaged in their own education. They, they need, their curiosity needs to be piqued. They need to be like, ooh, really? What is that all about? Like they need to be drawn in, and um, <clears throat> that takes... That takes a good intuitive person, I think. Um, people often say, well, I didn't become a teacher for the money. So <laughs> a lot of times teachers are in it to um, to really engage kids. And that's what we need from parents as well. And, and speaking as a teacher, I'm saying that's what we need from parents, but also speaking as a parent educator and speaking as a parent myself. Learning, as we established uh, in episode 277, <laughs> which was the first in this deep dive series, education begins in the home. And um, I'm going to link to that episode as well, 277. Um, they need to be engaged in their own education. So that that is the first one. And I think what I'm going to do is kind of keep going because I think that will become clearer if you don't understand what that what that could really mean for you, that could become clearer as we go along here. So the second thing is, the second thing that matters is what interests them. So engagement is one thing, like being able to talk and answer questions and stuff like that. That's one thing. Finding their interests is really, really important. So again, I'm thinking back to when my oldest was going into kindergarten and I was really excited. So I had no experience as a parent with a school system yet. And um, 
I knew though, from the education side of it, what was really important in terms of getting kids to, uh, to come to school and start getting into the routine and start creating a classroom community. And I was really excited over the summer when um, we met with we met with the principal. Uh, she gave him a little stuffed eagle because the the um, the mascot for the school was an eagle, which was just so cute. And um, and a, and a whole packet of stuff came in the mail from the teacher. And I mean, my son was so excited. It was all this. It was like a welcome letter, and it was an odd. There was a place. There was a page in there for him to write and draw about what he wanted to learn. And I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. It's exactly what I would do. And I wrote for him because he wasn't doing a lot of writing yet. I think I think because it was long sentences, he had stuff he wanted to say. But boy, he, he drew the just the most painstakingly adorable five-year-old picture of dinosaurs. What he what obsessed him when he was a kid was dinosaurs. He wanted to learn about dinosaurs. And I think he did some of the writing, but I think I did most of the writing was basically how it worked on there. Because I knew that like, that's fine. If you make a kid do too much of his own writing or her own writing before they're ready, they lose interest. They lose engage. You lose their engagement and their um, interest, right? So I knowing that I, I did that and um, we sent it in or he brought it with him, I think, on the first day of school. And uh, when we went in for that meet the teacher, uh, they were all up on the wall. And these kids, if there were 25 kids in that class, which I don't think there were, I think there were probably 23 or 22 maybe, there were 22 or 23 different things that they wanted to learn about on the wall when we went in. And I was like, this is so cool. I knew exactly what I would do if I was this teacher. And that was the last, that, that, that meet the teacher's night of his kindergarten year was the last we ever heard of what interests the kids in terms of their own learning. It immediately became what, uh, it became the standard kindergarten curriculum, which um, disappointed me, I will say. Um, He he did better in kindergarten than he did in first grade um, because first grade was big business and kindergarten was not quite the same amount of big business but there was way too much seat work and there was way too much sort of uh, negative discipline if if your child wasn't ready to sit, basically, is, is I guess how I'm going to put it. Um, and uh, nothing against the teacher. I think she did a great job. Um, for example, when he had his, uh, he had to have surgery on his foot, um, and on his leg, it was, it was a pretty major surgery. Um, it was much harder for us parents to live through a three-hour surgery than it was for him to live through. But um, the recovery of that took pretty much the second half of the school year. He was in a walking boot after he'd been in a cast for two months, you know, after he had been using a, a walker or crutches, um, after he had had the surgery. And when we knew he was going to be out of school probably for an extra week after vacation, we planned it for one of the vacations. And um, she sent him for this week, instead of sending him with 60 worksheets, as I talked about before the break, uh, which is what his first grade teacher did when, when we went away for two weeks, she sent him with a, a simple journal of pages that had room for drawing and for writing. And she asked him to write and draw about his experiences while we were, while he was out, you know, having the surgery and recovering from that. And it was awesome. I mean, it was like, 
it was really so that's what I mean. Um, she was a, was very in tune with what young children need, but she too had the things that she had to get them done, and she had to have these markers that she was looking for for kids. So we were already hearing about his lack of focus in kindergarten, and um, and she disciplined in in a public kind of humiliating way that really did not work for our child. <laughs> and um, so th- so it was it was kind of a mix of of good and bad, but. As I say, um, just to just to get back to what interests them, and and what does that that this does matter, uh, though the children's interests were completely laid by the wayside, so that they could focus on the standard kindergarten curriculum, and we never heard about dinosaurs again in 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 his learning. That was like the the just before kindergarten was the last time that his interests were taken into account. And again, as I say, I knew exactly what I would do. I was trained to be a preschool teacher, a kindergarten teacher, a first grade teacher, a second grade teacher, a third grade teacher, taking into account these different needs and interests for the kids. And it was so, and I student taught in a place where it was being done and it was being done well. I student, I had my student teaching experience, my student teaching practicum, which was a full semester of five days a week in, um, as the, as the student teacher in a first grade where they were living this. I mean, it, you know, they, they were actively resisting the, uh, the wave of, um, of negativity that 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 eventually became no child left behind. So a few years after that became no child left behind. Maybe even a year because that was probably my last year of student teaching of um, of being a, a master's degree candidate. Um, anyway, I I bring all that up because in case you're thinking like, oh, well, there's no way to do that. Like first grade, how could a first or a second or a third grade teacher really do this? Bring this kind of um, interests into the classroom, believe me, there's a way. And, um, and I, I learned it and I absorbed it. And I, I saw with my own child how important it was. Um, and I saw how, when he wasn't getting it, how, how terrible that was. So, um, I, I speak from this firsthand. I, I, uh, I know of it, but I also know of it out in the sort of with other students and stuff like that. So don't think I'm just, I don't know, talking, without without a thorough understanding I really do I mean you can always learn more and I'm always interested in hearing other perspectives um, but in this instance I I know a lot about what motivates kids and um, how to get them to work so that's the second one their engagement having them be engaged is the first thing that really does matter the second one is what interests them the third thing is their own questions so Max had tons of questions about dinosaurs that's why dinosaurs were so interesting to him because they were so like there were these big stories about them, right? Like the meteor that came along and 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 um and killed them all, and 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 some of them survived though. Like he, one of the most fascinating things to him was how dinosaurs uh, eventually evolved into today's birds. Like he was so interested in birds, um, in his sort of late elementary, early early middle school years, because it was just mind blowing to him that like these massive dinosaurs that he'd been learning about ever since he was a kid became birds these tiny little creatures that like you can see all around um so anyway so their questions really really matter because their questions are the ones that are going to help them that are going to bring them into wanting to learn how to read for example it's much easier to learn about the stuff you're interested in if you can read and it's it's much harder if you can't so that really is motivating for kids um 
just to learn to read or write because they want to engage around these things that interest them, right? So their questions are really important. And the fourth thing is, um, the fourth thing that matters is strengthening their social skills. And for this one, I want to reference episode 284 of the show. And I am now looking at my list of Oh, there it is. Yes. So episode 284 of the show was called True or False. There is no way to teach social skills. And uh, I bet you can you can figure out which side of that coin I land on. Of course, we can teach social skills. Go and find out how by listening to episode 284 of the show. That is also that's another one of these in this series of educating our kids. So um, strengthening their social skills is is really important. Now, I suppose you could make an argument that, quote, teaching social skills maybe isn't what we do. And maybe that is a thing. But actually, I don't think so. Because what is we don't really ever teach anything. What we do is we model and we um, we show kids a way. It's there. It's the learning that matters much more than the teaching, quote unquote. So I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, um, write to me, Karen at weturnedok.com, and I will try to um, explain it better. So strengthening social skills is, it really does matter because um, kids, especially today where we don't, we don't, there's not a lot, there are definitely some, there are pockets in the, in the, in the U.S. where kids are coming home from school, putting their bags away and going out and playing uh, with other actual kids in an open-ended fashion. But it's much, much less common now than it was, for example, when I was growing up or maybe when you were growing up. And um, the way that kids gain social skills, one of the ways is by playing with other kids. So it's our job to kind of strengthen those social skills by exposing them to other kids. It's not happening so much in schools because there's just a lot of work that needs to get done. So they are going from activity to activity to activity in school and it's it's not good for them. So um, one of my favorite, and I'm going to link to the, God, there's going to be a ton of links today. Um, one of my absolute favorite resources is called Crisis in the Kindergarten. And it was uh, written by, it's a paper, it's a very big paper though, but it was written by researchers in the field of early childhood education from the, it was researchers who, if I'm remembering correctly, they were primarily from a school called state street school, which is in New York city. And it is a really prominent, um, wonderful place for educating teachers. And what they did was they, they did a study, they undertook a study. Now, again, I could be remembering the details wrong. It might, for example, other collaborators might have come in besides the State Street School people. But anyway, what they did was they talked to teachers. They surveyed uh, teachers all across the country to find, and they asked them one question, which is how much recess does your kindergarten class get? And the answer in a lot of cases was none, zero recess time. Or such a small number to be uh, not not good. So like anything under, I mean, uh, so for example, when I was teaching in first grade, they got, they were bucking the trend and they, those kids got, I think it was 40 minutes of recess a day. They had a long recess and they also had a shorter one after lunch. Uh, and And the teachers were feeling the pressure to not do that anymore, to take more recess out of their days because of the the stuff that they needed to be teaching. So this is called Crisis in the Kindergarten, and it's it's outlining how little 
open-ended social time kids have and the skills that are disappearing because they don't have them. I think that's really, really, really important. Um, So strengthening social skills, that is done by play, by open-ended play without screens. And um, the more we can foster that, the better. So that is a thing that really, really does, that is crucial. Get your kids to be able to play in an open-ended way with other kids. Um, That's really crucial. So then the fifth one that I come out with, and I actually, this is, this is one and an and, and then the next one, because I, I'm putting them together. I think they, I think they matter and I think they work together. So, okay. They are communication and connection. And, um, I hope you can see my reasoning for putting them together, but I'll try and explain it. So, um, this really matters in a child's education because fostering connection is what, is what our goal is, right? We want to spark a connection so that a child goes, oh, I didn't realize that went with that. Like, if you think about how much of childhood is that, realizing that that um, that these two things that had previously not been connected in your mind go together. And the communication is how we do that. And um, the other way that we, that we can communicate for connection is when we bring humor into kids' lives, right? When we, because what you're doing is you're looking into somebody else's eyes and you're giggling. And um, that is so important. Like sometimes humor is the only thing that can defuse a tense situation. And it's it's something that can help a child understand if it's done properly and um, without sarcasm. So irony and sarcasm are things that children do not get. In fact, they might have to be, well, they don't, It it's not that they don't matter because I was going to say, oh, they should be up at the front of the show. I think irony and sarcasm are things that we simply should not practice with our little kids. They don't understand it. They don't understand how your words could say one thing, but your actions or your tone says another. And it's really frightening for kids. So if you have kind of slipped into the habit of using sarcasm with them, at the very least, explain it to them so that they understand. Because I'll never forget the day when my youngest was probably, oh, six, maybe six or seven. And um his dad has a real wonderful sarcastic wit and <laughs> said something sarcastic to him, but did it in a way that was very demonstrative and, and overt. And our youngest kind of looked up at him and said, you're using sarcasm, dad, aren't you? And it was like adorable. <laughs> and um, and just that he understood that, right? So we need to make our kids feel like they're part of the of the of the joke, if that makes any sense. like that. So if we're going to use sarcasm or irony, they need to understand it before we can really use it. Because otherwise we're just hurting them. We're hurting their feelings. We're making them feel confused. We definitely, definitely, definitely don't want that. So communication and connection are the last two here that I just think are, are super duper important. And, um, and that's it. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to review them all <laughs> because I want you to um, have a sense of at the very end here, as we're, we're kind of summing up, I want you to have a sense of like what, uh, what we're, what we're trying to guard against and what we're going for. Okay, so here we go. So the things we that do not matter in a child's learning are rote learning, seat work, and how long they can sit still and all of the things that flow from that mindset that does not matter. And the younger your child is, the less it matters. <laughs> as I said, it, those things do matter as you get a little older, uh, maybe into high school, late middle school, high school. But for now, you don't need to worry about it if your child is 
I would say third grade or under, you don't need to worry about it. Okay. And then what does matter when they're this young is they're, that they are being engaged. Their engagement really matters. What interests them, learning about what interests them really matters. Their questions matter so much. Um, strengthening social skills matters. And finally, communication and connection really, really matters. So that is our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. I am so happy to have you here with me. I, I just feel like I get on this side of the microphone and it feels like I'm going to a party that I'm very, very excited about and, and that I get to bring you along with me. So I hope you get that sense from it. And I'm just really grateful that you're here. And finally, I have a special thanks for our producer, the man who who really kind of took it on faith there at the beginning when we were just getting into this. And I'm so grateful to him because he has he has come right along for this ride and 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 understood these things that matter and these things that don't matter. And and as a result, we are just loving family life, which is, of course, what I really, really want for you. Anyway, he is the 21-time winner. Actually, at this point, he is the, this is July 9th, if you're listening to this in real time. He's the 22-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want to date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Derp, 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 derp,